All right, all right. Good evening, good evening. This is Dr. Cornell Lewis with the Keeping It Totally Real podcast. Once again, we are here uh, tonight. Uh, we're going to talk about some things that are really uh, going a little strong right now. And one of them uh, is pretty tough to deal with. Um, I'm going to talk about depression. Uh, depression uh, after the death of a loved one or something. You know, we that's not an easy thing to deal with. And a lot of times it it really is a problem for people because we don't know how somebody feels. You know, we could say, oh, I felt that way or this is the way you should be feeling. But, you know, let's let's get into some of this, because let's be real and let's be clear with each other that it's not always easy to deal with depression, but much less depression after you've lost a loved one. Uh, We know that this is the week right now where uh, Casey Goodson was murdered. Uh, by a uh, sheriff. And uh, we just want to be able to talk to those people who are out there to say, you know what, Um, there's a whole lot of people who are upset right now. If we keep feeling these feelings, you know, sooner or later, uh, we tend to go into a depression. So let me say what depression is first. Um, There are many uh, beautiful and uplifting things in life, but, you know, there's also loss, right? And losing a loved one, uh, you know, you can become, you can get into grief real easy. Uh, and the grief can lead to depression. Uh, you can expect to grieve and, and feel sad after a loss. But prolonged feelings of sadness and hopelessness could mean that you have depression. Whether you're experiencing grief or depression or both, there are many approaches that can help heal. Uh, with time. So let's be real. There are times when you're definitely going to grieve, you know, but if you got hopelessness attached to that, like I'm never going to get any better. Uh, Things are never going to be better. Life is never going to be better. Then what you may be slipping into is depression. You know, I'm not a doctor uh, that, uh, uh, you know, prescribes medication. I'm not a doctor that will tell you exactly uh, everything you need to be doing. But I am a guy who deals with depression and uh, anxiety. And uh, so I've had the opportunity to be a patient. And so I want you to know that it's not easy, but it definitely can become part of, uh, uh, of the healing process. So uh, differences between grief and depression, all right, are some of these, right? So uh, people with depression feel depressed almost all the time, okay? Grieving people often have symptoms that fluctuate or come in waves. So if, you know, you got issues that are coming in waves, like, man, I was just doing this the other day, and then all of a sudden I start crying, that's grieving, okay? That's grieving. But um, people who feel depressed, they're depressed all the time, constantly, uh, there's no getting out of bed. There's just no business in doing anything. Um, you know, it's over. It's a wrap. Uh, but uh, that's something that comes uh, on people who have depression. But grieving, it comes uh, in waves sometimes and it fluctuates. You know, I was just telling a guy I knew this morning that, you know, once I got in my 50s, I mess around, start crying at a good commercial. You know, I, <laughs> I'm sitting up here like, oh, my God, look at these polar bears. And, you know, feel some kind of way about that. And, you know, but uh, but now, you know, even dealing with depression, it's, it's not easy. But, uh, you know, I'm not laying in the bed wondering if things are going to get better. 
I know things are better because I have people who care about me. And in my life, you know, I got my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you know, so that's me. Um, But uh, you got to have there's acceptance and support also. Uh, people with depression, depression, they, uh, um, you know, they start to isolate. And this is a problem because when you start isolating, you know, you're by yourself. Uh, you're always kicking people to the curb. Uh, you don't talk to nobody. You don't come see nobody. You don't let anybody come see you. And um, you may, uh, but, but, you know, people who are just grieving, which means, you know, you're, you're going through that every now and then thing, you know, you could avoid, uh, you know, social settings, but you do, people who are grieving, they do accept support. And so that's the difference between somebody who has depression and somebody who's just grieving. Okay. And I'm not saying just grieving and then there's nothing to it, but grieving as in, you know, I, I'm, I'm still a little sad about what's going on. Um, so then you have, uh, the ability to function. Someone, so somebody who's grieving may still be able to go to work or school, okay? Uh, may even start participating in certain activities. But uh, when you're clinically depressed, you experience symptoms so bad that you're unable to go to work or even complete an important task, you know? And so you want to be mindful of the way that you are dealing with things because grieving, as we said, is different than um, depression is different. So um, you can you can almost start to look at those things and go, you know, that's that's OK. I see I'm here and it may not be like that. You know, then it may not be like that. I'm not that I'm not going through that. So while grief is a normal expected set of emotions that can occur after the loss of a loved one, uh, some people will 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 go through it and experience a more significant and longer lasting level of grief. And this is what's called complicated grief. Like when when grief gets complicated, um, you know, stuff goes on and on and on and on. uh, And then, you know, you may have trouble thinking about anything other than your loved one's death. Uh, You may be, uh, uh, be dying to have that person come back, hoping to have that person come back all the time. You got difficulty accepting that they're gone, uh, trouble trusting others. Uh, you, you might not, you know, your memory is going to be a mess um, and you won't have positive memories, but uh, it gets worse. Your grieving gets worse and worse and worse every time, meaning that, you know, now I can't even get up. I can't even walk. I can't even go do the things that I need to do because I can't even make it out of the bed. I can't make it out of the bedroom. Um, I can't talk to my kids. I'm just done, you know, um, but you got to take care of yourself. And I know that, I mean, I didn't take care of myself for a long time. You know, um, I really didn't. I just, I just figured it was going to be all right. I figured I was just going through some stuff that was going, you know, it's going to smooth out. It's got to smooth out because, you know, that's life. You know, I'd gone through like several, uh, back to back traumas in my life, you know, mental traumas, like boom, 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 boom. And, you know, um, being in that situation and then being expected to handle things like people expect you to be the one to handle stuff. And you like, you know what? Uh, nobody handles things for me. You know, I got to always do this. And, and a lot of times what will happen is if you're anything like me, 
You know, you just jump out there and going to doing stuff that you think is going to make you feel better. And so you try to get back to all the stuff you were doing before. And that's not helping it because really what we're doing is we're covering up the pain or the grief and the suffering that we have without getting help or how to care for ourselves, you know. So that's some stuff that I just wanted to put out there. But it's not a selfish action to take care of yourself. You know, I'm one of those givers. You know, and I believe in helping people and helping people a lot. But there comes a time when you got to take care of yourself. Um, you got to make sure it's part of the process that helps you feel better mentally and physically. You know, uh, if, if taking a walk makes you feel better mentally and physically, so be it. If uh, writing, you know, I suggest people start to write when they start to feel a certain way. Write those feelings down. Write what you're thinking you know, write how you, how you feel right now and write that down and just get your little pen and pad and just do that. And at least you can come back to those feelings. Or if there's something that you need to go further with, like, OK, I need to go further and get some other help, like clinical help. Then let's be real. You can um, you can at least have a, a, a background for how you got there, something you could take to a doctor and say, well, look, these are my thoughts and this is how I've been feeling over the last four weeks. Um, but here's some ways like you can care about yourself. You know, people say to exercise regularly. Well, I'm going to keep it 100 with you. You know, I haven't exercised really at all. Um, I just haven't been doing it. I mean, it's kind of a, a shame. You know, my wife is out there and she's working it out, you know, and I'm proud of her. I'll be seeing her go. I was like, girl, you're getting it in. But one of the things that I have had a hard time doing is exercising. And uh, I don't know why I just, you know, um, I don't I don't know what it is. I just haven't had the desire, you know, to exercise. But here's the other thing that makes a good thing. And I've been trying to do this is getting at least seven to eight hours sleep. Uh, I, I've been trying to get that in because I know that without that, I'm in trouble. Now, I, I get these. um they're, they're called intrusive dreams sometimes. And uh, with intrusive dreams, you know, those dreams can it can be they can be really real because you're not paying attention to your sleep. And so I'm I, you know, I messed around last week, got two, three hours sleep because I uh, on one day because I thought that I had all this stuff I had to get done. And, and you know, instead of just going to bed. Uh, so, you know, but I, it's, you know, I need to make sure I take myself uh, uh, take things seriously. You know, I've got this massage chair at home. So I sit in, well, excuse me. <laughs> My wife has a massage chair at home. I, but I actually sit in it a lot. So, uh, whenever she's not in it, but, um, I sit in that massage chair and I get a massage and I'll listen to some music and try to, um, try to ease my mind and not think about so much, you know, cause you know, you can get into thinking about a lot of things. And before you know it, you're off into it. Uh, but uh, you can explore, you know, like, like go find a new skill, something you've really been trying to do, like maybe, uh, you know, joining a book club or, or, or you know, some going to a local college to join and, you know, sit down and listen to a seminar. Or you can listen to the Keeping a Totally Real podcast with Dr. Cornell Lewis. Um, so, or you, you know, you can, uh, see friends or like, uh, join other support groups. There's a lot of stuff out there you can do, but the key is to be active. 
and try to be active doing something that you like doing. And maybe uh, the loss of a loved one, let's just say the loss of a loved one, you um, you ended up, you know, y'all would do that one thing together. Let's just say it was riding bikes. You would always do that riding bike thing together and it felt real good. Well, uh, maybe that brings back too much pain on you. Maybe you shouldn't ride that bike because it brings too back too much pain. Once you have lost a loved one, uh, you know, it's time for you to start to think to yourself, OK, what do I need to do here? I, I mean, everything everything has changed. You know, I know uh, I know some people who have lost their loved ones and, you know, there's no help for them or they don't know how. And or they, they've had multiple people leave them in such a short amount of time. You know, in these days of COVID-19, it could be just about anything. So we want to make sure that people know that there is help and you can start to care for yourself in the beginning. But uh, there's some places, there's some things that may help and there's other things that will not help. Uh, the one thing you don't want to do, and, and this happened to me, is uh, I tried to escape by, you know, by turning to alcohol. And, uh, the, you know, the, it wasn't productive for me. I, I listen, I, I can put away a bottle. I could put away a bottle. And, and, and you know, to tell you the truth, uh, it still comes up on me every now and then, especially when I start feeling a certain way. You know, the struggle's still there. I'll be honest with you, the struggle is still there, but I make sure that um, I, I check all of my mirrors, my rear view mirror. I check my side mirrors and this is my life mirrors. I check all of them. As a matter of fact, I go to the closets where I used to keep all of my depressing thoughts and I make sure that those closets aren't overfilled and I'm not keeping stuff from anyone and I can uh, go to those closets and make sure that the doors are not bursting open so it all comes flooding out at one time and then I can't handle it. Um, it's easy to, for me to pull away from people when I'm feeling depressed, but I don't necessarily call it pulling away. I call it going away to take care of myself. You know, self-care is one of the greatest things that someone could have come up with. Uh, I'm learning to reskill myself in that art of taking care of myself. Too many times in my life, I've taken care of so many other people. I've taken care of people when I didn't have it to give myself. And a lot of times it came down to me just wanting to, to uh, be there for somebody or, or say, look, ain't nobody else going to help you. I'm, I got you. But at the end of the day, what ended up happening was... Um, I tried to pour out of an empty cup. And then what do you do? Uh, you start blaming other people for your uh, situation that if they didn't need something, then you'd be all right. Um, you know, it's not good if you've lost, uh, let's say, a wife, um, a girlfriend or what have you for men. It is not good if you just jump right back out there. And, 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 and start to try to date again. That's just not a good thing because you aren't over the first thing that you first uh, part of grieving. Uh, for women, uh, you have to be careful because your bodies are on a time clock. Everything that you do is on a time clock. And uh, 
you know, that's the way God put it. And, and one of the things that happens is um, you, you make unreal expectations, not just of uh, yourself, but of others. You know, there's nothing wrong with just sitting down and saying, you know what? This is what I like to do. You know, my wife is famous for telling me that she likes to play like Candy Crush games and stuff like that. Well, that ain't that ain't uh, that doesn't intrigue me. But she likes it because it's mindless stuff. It does. She doesn't have to sit there and work hard to do it because, you know, the brain reaches a level sometimes where it's like, guess what? I'm good. I'm done. I'm gonna leave you here. Uh, You know, I just got a fire pit. So what I like to do is I like to take all the wood. You know, I had a tree split in the backyard. I take wood and I take it out there and I set fire to all of this stuff. And sometimes it feels like I'm setting fire to the things that uh, have caused me so much pain. The things I kept around. Uh, I try myself. I try to sit there and I watch the fire. And one thing I can say is, you know, uh, it's it's pretty hypnotic. Fire is pretty hypnotic for me. And I, I, I sit there and I just say, you know, this is what I want to be doing. Sometimes I sit out in the cold. You know, I wrap up and go out there and I sit out there and I try to make sure that I'm um, bundled up. But I'll start a fire out there in the fire pit, you know, sit out on the patio. The other thing is uh, you need to know when to seek help. Um, the loss of a loved, loved one is it's a life changing event. You know, and it can leave a big hole in your life. Uh, If you uh, experience like things like, you know, you can't do your daily duties or or, or you wish you would have died too, or wish you would have died ahead of them or or something like that. And and those are your daily thoughts is, you know, why did not go or um, or you you feel like life ain't worth living, you know, Um, if you don't have them, then then you definitely need to connect with your pastor, your church. You need to connect with the so they can get you some help from a doctor or you need to connect with the doctor immediately. Um, there are people who feel like they have no purpose in life. You know, I've met a lot of people who once their kids were grown, uh, they felt like they didn't have a purpose, felt like their purpose was just just kneel. That's it. The kids are gone. It's that empty nest syndrome. Kids are gone. What do I do now? You know, uh, how do I get through today? Because I used to live for them. And living for kids, living for your kids is just a total wrong thing to do. Because I'll be honest with you, as a father of four grown children, I know that they will live their own lives, which they are supposed to. And they will not be there as like you want them to. You know, and sometimes we give so much and expect so much in return. So it's our expectations that we have to tailor sometimes. But, you know, if you're feeling those things then you need to really seek help, if you're starting to feel like, you know, you wish you have died as well or uh, your life isn't worth living and and so on and so forth. But, um, you know, I will say this to you that losing a loved one um, I've, I've lost a loved one. I lost my mother. And um, but life wasn't over uh, because what I felt was that it was time for me to do some other things. Um, but it does mean that your life will be different. 
you will not be able to call that person or, or anything like that. You'll have to have memories. Um, and you can find that healing uh, once you celebrate their memory. Uh, you can find that healing. Okay. Once again, this is Dr. Cornell Lewis with the uh, Keeping It Totally Real podcast. And um, I just want to say that I'm hoping that each one of you are looking forward to uh, having uh, a wonderful holiday. But then also there are people who are, will not have that holiday because they were uh, alone before and they're still alone now. So I just wanted to be able to uh, bring that to you this evening uh, and to let you know that regardless of what happens, it's my belief that there are people who you can be around. There are people who you can help and people who can help you. And it won't seem like it's so much of a burden on you. But, you know, let's let's be honest. If you are thinking that, well, I may be committing suicide or whatever you or you having thoughts of it then you need to look at getting into the uh, Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. That is 800-273-8255. You can call that or you can show up in an emergency room or call 911 if you feel that you're so far down till you're not going to be able to get back up. You know, in my life, I've spent a lot of time trying to figure things out and try to help people. And like I said, I got caught up in that and was not clear on how I was supposed to live through things. I was not clear on how I was supposed to live through things and and it became a burden for me. Um, There are, I didn't know this, but there are certain foods that can even trigger depression symptoms like, uh, you know, fruit juices. And I'm like, whoa, I said, that's me all day long. Definitely caffeine and pop, things of this nature, or soda for people who are uh, not uh, not from up here. Uh, Soda is another one, you know, and all of those things can trigger um, trigger issues with, you know, depression. And what you don't want, you don't want somebody to. Uh, struggle through that kind of stuff simply because the diet is off. Um, There are different things that we can do to try to get things together. But I can tell you, you know, I'm working very hard on not having these things in my life. It is not easy. Uh, You know, I don't drink pop or soda or anything like that. But, uh, you know, gluten is another thing. So, the more we eat bread products and, 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 and spaghettis and things of this nature, um, they bring on, you know, they call them these clumping foods. Um, they've been connected to depression, seizures, headaches, anxiety, and nerve damage. You know, and it's like, what? Everything I love, you know? Uh, you know, you, I just want to grab something. You know, and any type of thing that you can fall in, in for, like vegetable oils, that's another thing because uh, it's considered processed due to the high heat and high pressure process and definitely fast food. You know, so I, I was a fast food junkie. I always have been. Uh, artificial sweeteners is another one. Um, I just love to eat out, man. And, and so in the days of COVID, yeah, while everybody's saying, oh, we shouldn't do that. Oh, there's no, don't do that. 
Um, there are situations that where you're working hard or your wife is working hard and the one thing you can do is say, okay, let's grab something. Uh, but also foods high in sodium, you know, and salt, uh, it causes in, in, it causes people to retain more fluid, which can lead to uncomfortable feelings of bloating. Okay, so, um, you know, I've been there myself, but when you binge eat, you know, now I'm going to let y'all in on a little secret. Uh, my wife went the other day to, uh, what is that called? All about the bunt cakes or bunt cake, whatever it is. And she came home uh, with six bunt cakes. Now, I don't know who comes home with six bunt cakes. There are those little bunt cakes, but man, those things are amazing. So I was like, oh my God. And I've been, you know, I snap at my wife every now and then and, jo- and jest. I laugh at her because I'm like, you don't care about me. You just keep bringing cookies and potato chips and bunt cakes and all that in the house. Because what you're trying to do is you're trying to keep me fat while you get skinny. And then don't nobody want me because I'm going to be just walking around behind you hoping that you still going to care about me in the next 20 years when I'm just as fat as I could possibly be. And, you know, that's the way my wife is making me dependent on her. So I struggle. I struggle. So I got some binge eating ways. You know, um, I have a, 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 I have a, I'm definitely the guy who will sit and I will eat something like, let's say, oh, Let's say it's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich because I love peanut butter and jelly. So I'll eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but then I may have two or three of them, you know, because I'm like, man, these things are good because I get a feeling. And then all of a sudden my addictive behavior jumps in there and here I go. Right. And I'm gone. And so there's times when I eat when I'm not hungry, but I try to eat like a certain uh, type every day, a certain portion. But it is hard. I mean, I love butter and I love uh, uh, butter and bread, you know. Um, But the other thing is uh, I drink something good. I think it happens is I drink green tea and I try to drink green tea because it keeps me from feeling hungry. It keeps me from feeling like there's a problem or anything like that. And I'm I'm happy with that. I'm happy with that Um, when I'm not feeling so. Uh, so down. I'm not feeling so uh, depressed. I'm feeling like, hey, you know what? I'm not I'm not hungry right now um, because that green tea helps me with that. So there's 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 ways that you can work with your diet and you should always, you know, connect with your doctor, even if you're on um, uh, some type of blood pressure medication before you start changing up everything. But uh I, you know, the biggest thing for me is that reaching out and staying connected. You know, it's hard in this time to stay connected, but like I try to stay connected with my uh, family. You know, I've been working real hard on staying connected with them uh, because I'm the guy who during my own depression is easy. I would make it easy to pull away and just stay by myself. It's not good to do that. You know, um, Uh, What happens after that is you have these issues with your life that you can't handle. So I'll I'll try to put it to you like this. There's a uh, I don't know if any of you have seen the movie uh, uh, Jason Bourne or the Bourne Identity. 
Well, in that movie, he was a, uh, a, a spy. And uh, they used to, this, this, this one group used to tell him exactly what, who to kill or what to do. And he would, uh, he would get it done. Well, he lost his memory. And so one day he is targeting uh, the people who t- used to tell him what to do. And he's targeting them with a rifle. And they say, well, hey, you know, uh, uh, if he's targeting us, uh, he, could, he can't be doing that because we haven't given him orders. And one lady says, well, we stopped giving him orders a long time ago. And she's, the other lady says, well, who's giving him orders now? Who's giving to him those orders now? And the other lady says, well, the scary version is himself. So he is a weapon, not has a weapon so much, but he is a lethal weapon uh, just in his own right. And now he is out here and he isn't, he isn't listening to anyone. So he's going to damage some people. And it may be us. It may be the people who, uh, you're, you know, it may be your own loved ones. It may be loved ones outside of uh, anything going on with you. You know, no one wants to be left alone until it's uh, a, a situation where it's like, well, you know, just give me some time away. You know, as much as I talk, people say, well, you know, I know he's never quiet. I actually crave quiet time. I crave quiet time. I, I, I crave alone time. You know, uh, that's the only way I can start to think and sit and think and try to, uh, uh, you know, make heads or tails of my feelings. Uh, my feelings I struggle with a lot sometimes because, you know, I'm in the midst of feelings all the time. But I don't let them, I don't let my feelings get out of control to where I don't have any energy to get those back. You know, I, I need my feelings in control. I don't need them all out in the in the open to where I am now uh, chasing after something that has nothing to do with uh, where I'm supposed to be. Uh, so, you know, I have to challenge negative thinking. Sometimes I get real negative on things. You know, I used to sit and... Uh, if you told me something good, I would try to figure out how to let you know that you may have missed an area of your thinking. Like I'm like, you would say, well, you know, oh, aren't those flowers beautiful? And I'll be like, yeah, but you know what? It took horse manure to get them that way. And so you probably don't want them in your house. You know, I'm always coming up with something that's negative. So now I work on that. Uh, and, and I just try to stick to the facts of what's happening, uh, rather than prove and getting caught up in feelings and emotions that throw reality all out of whack. Let me just stick with the facts. There's okay. So sometimes you think something is happening and you don't know it's happening, but it goes back to you thinking it. And now all of a sudden, the more you think about it, the more real it becomes not to anybody else, but to you. Um, you know, there are certain things that I think are going on in my life, uh, outside, you know, external for me. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is really happening. I just know it's happening because it's gotta be happening because that's what's happening. And before you know it, it's like, you know what? You made up that whole thing in your mind. And a lot of times that, that magical thinking comes with needing to have control. 
um, cognitive behavior therapy, um, you know, the CBT, you know, we, we had a little study on that that I did uh, a while ago. It's a form of talk therapy that addresses unwanted behaviors. So, you know, to get, sit down and talk and say, you know what, I used to do this. I used to do that. I want to get rid of this. This is not me. Uh, but, uh, you know, sometimes that's that's combined with medication. Uh, myself, you know, like I said, I'm not a doctor that, that prescribes medication, uh, but there are underlying causes of depression and some much deeper that need medication. Uh, the main goal of cognitive behavioral therapy is for patients to become more self-aware of themselves and their actions. You know, what am I doing? So if I think uh, my if my action is always to go off on somebody, then no wonder uh, I, I got people looking at me like I'm crazy all the time. But in, in the mind of someone who is dealing with depression, you know, we we all we think it's somebody else's fault. Yeah, they just don't like me because of this, this and this when really it's you just went off on me and it's hard. I mean, and think about the person who lives with you. Think about the people who live with you. You know, my wife has, has to live with me uh, through, through all of this, and it's not easy for her. It's not easy for her to do. You know, uh, uh, it's not necessary for uh, me to continue to try to figure out what to do for her because sometimes I don't know what to do. But uh, I try. I try to keep her uh, knowing what's going on with me, and I try not to lie to her the way I used to about what I was feeling. Um, if I'm not ready to talk about it, I'm not ready to talk about it. But um, there's another thing that I, I really have liked doing. It's called mindfulness. And mindfulness is, is more like a meditating type of uh, 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 process. Uh, it helps you focus outward instead of becoming trapped in negative internal spirals. So, uh, you know, you'd have to make an active effort to, uh, to, to, to get into mindfulness, but, um, it's a great way of doing things. Um, so the, you know, like the first thought, uh, many, uh, many people have when they hear mindfulness is to ask what it is, of course, but, um, there are plenty of ways to, to think about mindfulness, but it connects with the present in such a way that it allows individuals you know, it's a simple explanation. It will allow you to discover habitual thought patterns, okay, automatic behaviors, and similar, uh, uh, particularly if they, if, if they did not, you know, realize these things were happening before. So if there are things that will come up uh, that, that are your number one triggers to something, and you do all that all the time, well, mindfulness is living in the present, okay, rather than regretting the past or worrying about the future. You know, I can say this to you now that uh, that's something that I love right now about my life is that um, I do live in the present and um, I haven't regretted the past a whole lot. I wrote a book that kind of helped me get through that. And it's on Amazon right now for all of you who uh, want to go out and check it out. But it's called uh, uh, Dreams of a Black Man Building a Life Between Hard and Impossible. 
And uh, I went, you know, I wrote the book and, and I was amazed that a lot of what I was feeling, I got out onto those pages. And it just felt good to get that out on those pages because I just didn't know how to tell people what was going on with me. You know, the one thing I try to do is if I can't say it, then I try to get it in some way else, somehow other to tell people this is who I am and this is how I'm feeling, you know. Um, So there's so many people who are out there who are not living in the present. They are simply uh, regretting everything about the past. Uh, Let me be real with you. There's so many things that we can regret. I can regret a lot of things. I mean, I can regret a whole lot. But uh, one of the things that mindfulness will tell you to do is uh, don't operate on autopilot. So I like that part of it. Okay, I do some mindfulness techniques and I like that. There are a couple of apps that I know of uh, that uh, there's one called Calm, C-A-L-M. And uh, that one right there, you can sit there and listen And, you know, that's one thing I have stopped doing is operating on autopilot. Um, And uh, I I found it to be great. Um, I found it to be good for me that, you know what, uh, what what are you going to do today? I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, I think I might just sit here. And once I'm tired of that, then I might just lay here. But want to create a place. where I can uh, make an alternate and more conscious choice from a new perspective in life. So I'm not just uh, uh, doing things in the place where I'm used to be or being or what have you, but I'm taking my mind off of stuff and saying, you know what, let me deal with this when I'm ready or when I'm not so tired, because what will happen is I'll just jump back into my old behaviors um, and try to try to do it from there. But uh, the other thing is getting rid of judgment. Uh, The other thing is getting rid of judgment. That's a big one. Y'all know that's a big one. Uh, It often brings on uh, feelings of anxiety and depression because once you start judging people, you know, you'll, you'll figure out that there's a, there's a problem with the life that uh, is being lived by you. You'll have issues when you start judging people. Um, Now, I'll tell you something. There's a lot of the things in mindfulness I can't do. I can't cross my legs, so I don't. But what I do is I'll put my feet on the floor and I I make sure that I feel that my feet are on the floor. And I sit there and I sit up straight and I start to breathe the way that the app tells me to breathe. And when the app tells me to take another breath in, it says to just be conscious of the breath. Don't be conscious about all the other things going on around you. Be conscious of your breath and in the nose and out. And it is such a relaxing uh, atmosphere for me. Uh, And I just get a lot of the benefits out of it. Uh, Of course, there's the overarching belief Uh, That mindfulness is the ability to live in the present without worrying about the past or future. Uh, And it can uh, significantly alleviate symptoms. Uh, So I I challenge you to go after that, to try to see if that may be something that can help you. 
and uh, try to see if that's someplace you might want to be. Once again, this has been Dr. Cornell Lewis with the Keeping It Totally Real podcast. And uh, once again, it was good having you. And we dealt with depression today and then some signs of it and some things we could do to help ourselves. Y'all take care of yourself and I'll see you next week. Peace. Uh, Tonight, we're going to jump right into it. I'm going to talk about some things about leadership and how uh, leadership has either uh, has either fallen off over the last few years or has risen to the occasion. Uh, Everybody uh, at some point, somebody believes they may be a leader. They may be the person that wants the ball at the end of the game, may be the one who thinks that leadership is their calling. I tend to fall under the the type of person who says, you know, um, I want the ball, but is there somebody else open? And if there's not, then I've got to do what I got to do and shoot the shot. So first of all, we're going to deal with two types of leaders that I want to uh, talk about. And that is, uh, you know, because there's many types, uh, but each one contributes a particular gift to a group. But the two types I want to talk about right now are instrumental leaders versus expressive leaders. You know, an instrumental leader uh, directs the team towards its goals. Okay. Uh, An expressive leader, uh, you know, is focused more on the quality of the relationships among the team. So when I look at that, I'm like, man, which one am I? Am I an instrumental leader who directs the team towards its goals? Or am I the expressive leader who uh, I want to focus on the quality of the relationships among the team? I can honestly tell you that I've been more uh, of an instrumental leader uh, because of the different places that I've come from. I came from the military. I came from the fire department. And, you know, in the fire department, you know, it was all about the relationships because a uh, bad relationships can destroy the cohesiveness in a firehouse pretty quickly. But in the military, it was all about being instrumental. Uh, you're an instrument of change. You're an instrument uh, in charge. Uh, you know, uh, you're not a manager by title, but you tend to take the lead and organize the team members. Um, I'm decisive, I'm focused, and I'm goal-oriented. So I would have to say that I'd be that instrumental leader. Then you have that expressive leader who uh, you're focused on the quality of relationships among the team. You know, if you're an expressive leader, you know, you're more uh, tuned into how people feel and how they're relating to each other. And you'll look for ways to ease tensions and improve communication, smooth out a ruffled ego and boost discouraged hearts. And so that's the kind of leader that I have been becoming. I got to say this, that's the kind of leader that I'm becoming, but I will also say this, that I've had to do one or the other, depending on the situation. It is never, uh, that's why we have to know the different types of leadership, because it's never, hey, this is how I'm going to be the whole time, because you'll miss something. Someone will need something. Someone will need more contact from you. But if you're just an instrumental leader, then that says that you're more transactional. Okay. Get the job done. Here's what you, here's the payoff. Take care. Have a good one. I could care less about your life or whatever else is happening. Um, Don't care if you get promoted, things of that nature. 
but uh, expressive leaders care about communication and they're all about easing tensions. You know, I, I have worked through the book. Um, there's a book that I've been dealing with and it's called Canoeing the Mountains. And what this book is all about is uh, church uh, leadership in uncharted territory. And I've, you know, I've tried to take different people through it. But um, what I'm learning is that there are people who just really just want to be led by an instrumental leader. Uh, this, it's not their desire to have uh, an expressive leader who will smooth over a ruffled ego or, or something like that. Although I have had to boost discouraged hearts. You know, the one thing I am is a pastor also. So I spend a lot of time boosting encouraging, and encouraging hearts. Um, I try to ease tensions, but I will say that in leadership, sometimes there is good tension. Uh, there's good tension because someone may feel that they are um, uh, doing a great job until uh, I may come up and say, you know what, um, you're kind of dropping the ball there. That's not the level that we're supposed to be at. I want excellence in everything I do. I want excellence. And sometimes I fall off, you know, but as the leader, I have to uh, remember who I am and consistently take things to the next level. And my vision has to stand, you know, uh, so both of those leadership styles, uh, instrumental and expressive, uh, they are complementary sometimes and they are essential to everything that we do in leadership. Um, I provide clarity. I try to anyway. And uh, the one thing I do, every, everything I try to do is demand accountability. Uh, if, I, if I want people to be accountable for what they are doing or what they are, have been asked to do. Uh, I do my best, best to try to be accountable myself. Uh, there are some people who it just doesn't matter. Um, they're all about trying to find out the right and the wrong thing that you're doing. They're all into your business. Like, okay, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And it drives you insane as a leader because you want to ask yourself, is this all that this person is about? So uh, an expressive leader, on, in contrast, uh, tends to be the glue that holds it all together. Now, the book that I was speaking of is Canoeing the Mountains, and that is all about making sure that your team knows that you, uh, you don't know what you're doing all the time. Look, I'm not sure what I'm doing all the time. It's as simple as saying that. But then the team has to be clear that they understand that and there's no fear in you not knowing. The one thing I've seen is that when uh, you, when certain people tell you that they don't know, uh, other folks lose their minds. They start to say, oh my God, if you don't know, then it, it's going to all fall apart. I've seen this in, in marriages where people say, you know, uh, they go and see a couple that they really like and they really love to see their marriage uh, flourish and they want that kind of a marriage. So they'll say something like, well, if you two fall off, then I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, that's just pretty, that's a lot of pressure for one, but uh, it's nice to know that your marriage is being thought of in that way or your leadership or being led. You know, I lead my wife sometimes, sometimes my wife leads me. But in that respect, I have that just like that. I have to respect what she is saying. And there are things when she says stuff 
There's a major amount of, I'm thinking, I need to listen to this. I need to hear this. So uh, I learned to respect her before I even kissed her because I wanted to make sure that this is who God was sending me to. But when you regard leadership styles, uh, you know, different sociologists also distinguish between the authoritarian, okay, the laissez-faire and the democratic leader, you know, so the authoritarian is focused on goals and rules, you know, so that's part of the, uh, when we're dealing with the instrumental leader, you know, focused on the goals and the rules. When I think about canoeing the mountains, I remember the story in there of Lewis and Clark. And uh, these are the men who mapped out uh, the country and, and dealt with the Missouri River and so on and so forth, which was a, a trickle back then. So um, one of the men was promoted just before the trip started. And he was promoted to captain. And um, the other one was a lieutenant in the military. And so uh, the captain wrote to the war department and said, please, so there won't be any issues between us and the men will know who to talk to or, or the men won't be put one above the other. I want you to please promote him from lieutenant to captain so that we'll both be captains. Well, the War Department refused to do that. Therefore, uh, they set out together with the captain going to the lieutenant and saying, you know, we're not gonna tell them what our rank is because I need you and you need me. One was better at something than the other one was. So we're not gonna tell them what our rank is. And they didn't, and, at, and, and from that, uh, from that unselfish uh, process, what they found was they had cohesion. The men didn't go to one or the other. And, you know, obviously within that, you'll have some gossip. Yeah, I really don't like him and I really don't like this. Well, I'm a firm believer that I'm willing to tell someone to their face that, you know, your leadership is, is, is pretty, it's pretty feckless and weak at this time. Because the fear is that if we continue on with weak leadership, then what we will have is uh, we will have a disaster. We will have a serious disaster, an ego driven an egoistic driven leadership that is seeking power will destroy whatever situation that might have been good. It will destroy it. Uh, the person may be a good person. But if they only know how to lead by uh, by everybody gathering around them and saying, listen, uh, you're going to lift me up and I will make sure that everything is taken care of. Uh, if that's the only way that someone can lead, then you can look for destruction to be the next thing. But uh, personality of authoritarian leader or uh, instrumental leader uh, is a very black and white view. And that black and white view says, listen, it's not gray at all. There's no gray. Uh, I know people and I talked about some people, some talked to someone today, a friend of mine uh, who we discussed gray. Gray is hard for people who are just in the black and white view. 
it's very hard for them to understand because what what a person with a, a, a black and white view, an authoritarian leader, what they really want is for everything to make sense or for them to be able to make sense out of everything. Now, we live in a world where everything doesn't make sense. And 99 times out of 100, there is gray. And so the problem comes in with a leader when they cannot see the gray. Uh, They think that sooner or later there's going to be a problem and this person in the gray is going to uh, is not a a person that understands that this is the type of team we're on. The person who is the leader is 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 the kind of individual if they're authoritarian and authoritarian alone and do not understand the other types of leadership and when they need to come into play, then this person will be dogmatic. They will be the kind of person who uh, does not um, appreciate uh, someone who thinks in the gray. They will run into the gray sooner or later, but I see a less effective team when everyone's uh, leadership capabilities or everyone's view is not uh, appreciated. You'll find that sooner or later feelings will come into play. An authoritarian, you know, they'll they'll throw their feelings out there, uh, excuse me, and say that uh, they are uh, it's inadequate, and uh, they'll have a group or a person. Um, uh, they tend to be overly focused on having power, and when you see someone, as I said, who that's what they want is power, then what you're going to find is you're going to have issues. Uh, there can be moments, do not get me wrong, when a, when somebody in authoritarian leadership, um, they're the best fit for the situation. Uh, when you have uh, chaos, and you know, I've constantly called myself, um, my middle name is Chaos. My wife used to call me the emergency man. Her and uh, a friend of hers used to call me the emergency man because whenever there was an emergency, I'm there. My strong hand is needed uh, to put order and establish a system. Uh, It can help to have one person establish the ground rules and demand compliance. Um, So my leadership style, while it is uh, moving in a good direction, and I believe I will have a good uh, process going on as I uh, implement my expressive leadership style along with the instrumental, then that leadership style can definitely be one that comes together because one minute I'll have to be instrumental, but the other minute I can definitely, definitely see where I'll have to be expressive. Um, at this time, you know, it's, it's not easy to do all the time because, uh, there are certain people who they don't need you to come in and lead their lives. They just want to talk. Well, when somebody just wants to talk, that's something that a leader has to understand. You need to know when somebody just wants to talk. As I'm getting older, you know, I'm I'm 53 now. And as I get older, I realize that it's okay. You don't have to have every answer. Uh, You can have no answers. You can actually say, yeah, I don't know. We're going to have to figure that out. And not me, but we. Because 
There's some people who come to you just to see if you're going to be that authoritative person who says, well, here's what you're going to do and here's what's going to happen and then this will happen and then you come back to me and make sure that it went just that way. And there are times when an authoritative person who is a leader like that can get very angry and they can say, and it's happened to me, I've done it before, get very angry and lose it on somebody, thereby maybe you lose a good team member. Um, there can be moments, as I said, though, in times of chaos, when an authoritative uh, leader is, is necessary. Um, you need a clear, decisive outlook, uh, and then nothing too simplistic uh, uh, to make sure that people are going in the right direction. So whenever, you know, I come on the scene, the first thing I'm looking for is chaos. If I see chaos, then I'm going to open my mouth and I'm going to say there's a problem here. It's the same as if uh, someone is silent knowing that they are hearing uh, racism. When you are silent uh, and you know it's racism or you are seeing racism, then you are complicit. So like we have today, we have many leaders. We have many pastors. We have many church leaders who refuse to take up the mantle of injustice as it pertains to uh, racism. So this is just a, an example. If you do not take that mantle up and say racism is wrong and say it from a place of authority, say it from a place of authority. This is when you need that authoritarian leader that just keeps it plain. And then after you have that authoritarian leader that just keeps it plain and black and white, then you bring in the expressive leader. It may not be you, but you can bring in an expressive leader who will help you deal with the feelings of some people who may not really understand exactly what is so wrong or they may not know. So in that instance, that is an example that I could use all day because I know so many people who are not uh, working the real work that needs to be done to uh, eradicate racism. So in leadership, you know, you have to take all of it and not just some of it. You know, I've had leaders, people who claim to be leaders uh, in my office plenty of times. And there's so many things they don't want about the job, but they want the job. Or there are people who have said, hey, I could do that. Case in point, uh, some years ago, uh, we were working in a, uh, uh, a garden. And, uh, you know, I'm a city guy, so it just really, you know, I don't have a green thumb to save my life. But we planted a garden behind a food pantry. And so I had a young man who was very, uh, oh, he was egoistic. He was egotistical. And he just really just knew he was the man. And I'd put him in charge of a few things, and he seemed to be doing okay. But uh, so I walk out to see how things are going because I, my wife and I, uh, she did her thing in the pantry where she made sure people were checked in. She made sure all of the the uh, uh, stuff was running that, you know, she's that person. And I'm the person who played the part of the um, uh, 
the expressive leader. So when people were having issues, I would go talk to them and I would say, oh, okay, so what's going on? You know, can I help or what have you? And we kind of flip flop back and forth, which was a great process. But what I ended up finding when I got outside was this young man who was in his uh, 30s was digging in the ground and he was digging and he was sweating pretty good. And he looks at me and he says, you know what? He said, um, I noticed that you're not doing anything. You're, you're not out here working in the garden, you know, and you're all clean and so on and so forth. And I was I was the director over the, the, the food pantry. And so uh, I said, yeah, I said, so what's your point? And he said, well, I could definitely do your job and you could do mine. So I said, okay. I said, well, I'll tell you what, why don't you give me the shovel and I'll start out here in this dirt and you can do my job. He said, hey, that works for me. And I'm like, okay. So no sooner than he hands me the shovel and I step into the dirt, my wife comes to the door of the food pantry and there's an emergency inside the food pantry. And she says, Mr. Lewis, I need you in here. And so I said, I look at the guy and I say, well, you want to go handle that? And he said, oh, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not handling that. He said, I don't even know what they want in there. I said, well, I'll tell you what, you take the shovel and I'll go handle that. And he looks at me, he said, I get your point now. I says, okay. So I had to go handle it. Somebody's got to go handle it. If you want to take my job, take it. I want you to have it. But don't, 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 don't take it and then slide down the hill on it. Or you've taken it, taken the, the position and now it, you haven't built on top of it. You've let it go. And you fall, you've let it fall down. And now people are less cared for because you came in and you took the job, but you didn't do it the right way. Now, I don't claim to always be uh, in leadership mode. As a matter of fact, lately, I have been in helper mode. There are plenty of people who I have come across lately who are uh, they they fancy themselves leaders. And so I'll say, well, what do you need me to do? Now, when I get into that position, even if it's the position of what do you need me to do? I'm going to go back there and do the job that you probably do not want to do. That is just me. I'm going to go out. The, I already know what it is. You don't call me until you want me to want something done that you're not willing to do. Maybe there's going to be a loss of face. Maybe you're going to be a loss of your uh, feelings or you want people to always care about you and you want you to be the one and uh, you want to be able to say, yeah, I don't like I don't like Lewis either. Or I don't like him either. Um, you know, whatever it might be, uh, you're going to want me to go back there and handle that. Well, in that process, uh, I, I try to work from the back of the house in that way. And that area, the areas that you want me to take care of, I'm going to find somebody who I can couch my thought process in and turn them into a leader by asking them one question. What all leaders want to hear, tell me what you want me to do. That's all a leader wants to hear is please tell me what you want me to do. 
How can I help you? If you don't do anything else in your life, leaders need to hear, how can I help you? But let me flip it over a little bit. Not only do leaders need, need to hear that from, uh, from uh, the top down in a hierarchy, but my, uh, let's say my subordinate, my employee wants to hear me ask them, what can I do to help you? Now, there are times when I find people who say, well, you know, I tried to get help from you. Well, here's the truth. You tried to get help from me doing something that you should be doing anyway, that you should understand, especially if you've already had the training. Now, I'm not going to come alongside of you and do everything that you already know should be done. I'll give you my ideas. But if if you're supposed to be doing it and you want me to do it, then the question is, is what do I need you for? I obviously do not need you if you're not here, if you're not going to handle your business. So get this. Uh, some years ago, I was in a meeting and I didn't know anything about uh, different, you know, corporate America. Uh, corporate America baffles me. <laughs> it just baffles me because there's so much uh, fake smiling sometimes. There's so much uh, stuff that goes on that I just have to just uh, stand back. And I wish I had a camera some days just to view it and let people see, see themselves and how things are really going. I'm like, this is the way it's supposed to be because you can't come in as a problem solver and just solve a problem in corporate America. There has to be a few meetings first so nobody gets their toes stepped on. And uh, I, I get it. I get it. It just wasn't something I was privy to at first. And so I've learned. But I was in a meeting some years ago, um, probably about 10 years ago now, and uh, I was sitting there and maybe 15, but I was sitting there <coughs> and the uh, and, and I was texting someone across the table from me who was in that meeting to let them know that I had just finished a certain project so that they could stop worrying about it. Well, uh, the person turned to me. And they were they were uh, the the head of the group we were working in. And they asked the other person to please stop talking for a minute so they could address something. So she turned to me and said, you know, um, you're sending me messages while we're having a meeting. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, she just blew me out of the water. How are you going to bust me out in the middle of all this? And she said, don't send me any more messages. We've got situations we need to deal with. And I need you to be here now. Now, I never heard of be here now. I thought that meant be here now as in you better hurry up and get here. And that means yesterday. But like I said, I'm coming from a paramilitary and military background. Uh, so you make it sound like thunder and, and you move like lightning. And so... That's my thought process. Well, then I had to look up be here now and be here now means that when you're here, you're here. You're not looking at your cell phone. You're not 
answering phone calls. You're not making out uh, uh, new visions while you're there or, or not listening. You're, you're being here now. Well, I got my second taste of corporate America a few years ago. And I was surprised to find out that I had not learned much. <laughs> so um, I'm, I, I had someone tell me, you know, um, you don't say anything in the meetings. And what I'm doing is I'm usually listening. And that's hard for people to believe, but I'm listening. And I'm listening very attentively to see where I might have something to say. And if I believe something is the best way to go, then I'll just not really say anything, but I'm with you. Uh, some meetings, I will be honest with you, I've sat in and I was thinking to myself, why are we having the 80th meeting of the day? Uh, sometimes corporate America can be death by meeting and we're there and it's like, guess what? Uh, uh, we're going we're gonna to have meetings until we die. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So um, I try not to have too many meetings. I have a standing meeting uh, every Tuesday with one person. And I have a standing date night with my wife on Friday. But uh, other than that, anything else I can say yes or no to. And if I say yes, then that means that I want to make sure that I'm with you and whatever. We're not even just a meeting, but I'm going to meet you. Because here's what I've done in retirement. I make time for what I want to make time for. It's my busy. It is a beautiful place to be. So if I don't want to make the time, then I don't make the time. Or if I know that I'm not going to be able to finish the conversation, be able to be attentive to the conversation, to listen and talk, then there's no need for me to say yes. Because what's going to happen is, I'm going to be doing something else while I'm listening to you. And that's not going to work, especially if we're having an in-person meeting. So when you deal with, there's two other terms that you can deal with, transformational versus transactional leadership. And when you talk about transformational, you're essentially an inspirational visionary. Now, that's something that I have been a lot of, an inspirational visionary. I can see things that uh, I've been given. I have more courage and empathy. And I have a lot of emotional intelligence. Um, and I'm gonna tell you something. I love creativity. I love to see things uh, go different than anybody else thought they could. They turn in a different direction. And I'm not bragging about myself. I'm just putting myself out there because I need you to know the expressive nature that I have. Uh, there are so many people who are transactional and transactional says, come in, do the work and leave. There are some people who that's okay for. They don't mind having transactional leadership. I always run into problems when I think everyone that I run into wants transformational leadership, as in they want to be uh, mentored. They want to be the person that is helped out. They want to be the next leader. They want to be the, the person who uh, is always uh, uh, up front and so on and so forth. Well, I have found just through our nonprofit organization, 
There's a gentleman there who told me I, I, I was trying to give him his uh, his due. Hey, you know, why don't you say something? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Hey, uh, the door, the floor is open for you. And he finally came to me and told me I'm a manager. I don't I'm not a, a, a visionary. I'm not transformational in that way. I take a vision and I manage it. And that right there was clear communication to me that you should not expect this man to be that kind of visionary. You are the visionary. He is the manager. And our relationship is we've got a great dog and pony show. Oh, wow. We can go into a um, a room. He brings the he brings the uh, uh, all of the the numbers and the all the different things that I, that I don't have. And, and what I bring, he brings the facts. I bring the feelings. And that's kind of how it works with us. Okay. Uh, he brings the facts and I bring the feelings. I, I know all of what the passion was when we got started, but, um, you know, leadership styles, they all depend on context. Uh, and a good leadership style for one group or, or circumstance could be all wrong for another. But the idea is that as a leader, you first try to prove communication. Now, we have problems with communication. I've got problems where communication is in certain areas of my life and in certain uh, organizations. It should never be assumed that we're just going to have great. um, We're just going to have this awesome relationship because we are in the same organization together. There may be things you don't like about me, but I may understand that and know that I need to leave you to your business so I do not um, interfere and you can be at your best without me around. I always wanna give people their space. I always wanna let people know I don't have to be here. You can do this and I'm going to support you. My job is to say, how can I support you? As I said, if you've already done it before and you're looking for help, then you can look for help from other people. Okay, because you know what you're supposed to be doing, especially if I've given you the the plan. I've already done this. Now, some people believe that I'm not doing anything. They believe that I have nothing to do. They believe that no matter what I'm doing, uh, it's not enough for me to be, uh, you're not really that busy. You're not really that busy. So I don't know why uh, I should bother you with this. I definitely should because you're not doing anything. And uh, okay, well, that's, that's definitely a thought, but that's when I offer people the opportunity to come up and live my life for me. I would love to have you. Come on up and decide you want to live my life for me. And then uh, I want you to see how things really go. I don't get a chance to walk away from a situation. I don't get a chance to not see someone who is in pain. Uh, I don't get a chance to see them uh, just, oh, you're going to suffer until that's the end. No, I have to help them with that situation. And there are times when I've done all the helping that I can do. That's also leadership when you know when it's time 
to step away and say, I've given it all I have. I think that I'm going to have to leave this, leave this in God's hands. The one thing that I will say I've had to learn is that you can't want more for somebody than they want for themselves. Each leader is a gift. They are a gift. You got to bear in mind that no one person has to have the complete package of all leadership gifts. We all have our own gifts. And the great thing is that teams will often have people who are strong in complementary areas. I know what, what, what I see. I know what I see. And depending on how that person acts, I know what they're trying to get out of, get away from. I, uh, I give people that I deal with, I give them the uh, Enneagram. And the Enneagram is a personality test, but uh, it brings back so many data points on someone. And after you take it, you're sitting there and you've got all these ideas about who you were, uh, who you are, and what you need to watch. Maybe there's some things you just need to watch. Need to be a little bit more uh, 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 demure about. Don't just jump out there and go, oh, yes, I know what's going on. I know what to do. These are things I used to do. I used to be a straight authoritarian. Here's one thing that would happen. We would go to a local food pantry to pack boxes. My, uh, my team would go in and I would have our young men and men. In one day, we would pack 1,200 boxes full of food. And I prop no, in about a two hour period, we would pack about 1,200 boxes full of food. Everyone would come up to us and tell us, you all sure do get it done. But I can't say that I was much more beyond that. I felt that at that time, all they really needed was an authoritarian to lead them. But there were so many other things going on in the uh, organization. So what I did was I found somebody who could be that expressive leader. I always would send them on. Um, I'd pay for them to go to the to get some chicken wings and sit down just so they could talk about me. I wanted them to be able to talk about me and get things out. And I never went to the other gentleman and said, what did they say about me? I don't want to know because there are times when you need to leave people to themselves so that they can talk about you. Now, somebody would say, well, I don't want them talking about me. They're going to do it anyway. Here's the one thing I found out. If you, uh, if somebody, if you don't like what somebody's doing and you try to shut them down and keep them shut down, all they're going to do is lie to you about what they're doing anyway. And so the key is, is that you make sure that you're the one who opens that door and says, listen, here's the reason why. So y'all can talk about me without feeling a feeling. You could say what you need to say. You could be angry and upset and know this, me I'm not going to come try to get information on what you said. That's not my, that's not my desire. I want to make sure you have an open forum. I know you can't say it to me. 
Eat your chicken wings, whatever you got to do, but say it, get it out. So the next time we come together, you don't have that on your heart. You're not ready to explode. You're not sitting there saying to yourself, one of these days, because one of these days might come. I would hate to see you uh, 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 in a situation where it could have been prevented just by allowing steam to be let off. You know, I'm a fan of of meditation, uh, well-being. I'm a fan of that stuff. We have to think about these things. We have to think about the fact that um, when we are in a situation, there must be boundaries. And there are penalties. You know, a moment of genius can happen. Uh, because the rules might be so clear till all of a sudden somebody looks like they go outside the rules. But you know what? It's not illegal. It isn't an issue. That's where I live my life. I've always lived my visions just on the edge. Or I've always seen the, the uh, clarity of the rules. And I go beyond the rules into areas that are not illegal. As a matter of fact, the, the best way for you to be able to do anything and be a leader is to see all of the angles. You've got to see all the angles. So when you go in, if anything surprises you, it won't derail you. Just because it surprised you doesn't mean that it's going to derail you. And any other thing that comes along, you already you already uh, had a pressure valve for. And so while others may not believe uh, that you are a great leader, I only have one question when that happens. So why do you keep calling me then? You obviously need something else in your life. So no matter how much I've told you about something, you don't want to lead this portion. Now, if there's a person that you need to go talk to, it's probably not me because we have of someone for that, 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 that piece of the puzzle. And if we have someone for that piece of the puzzle, then that's who you need to be talking to. Otherwise, handle it. And I've got, uh, I've got an old saying when people come to me and they bring me ideas. And I had a guy bring me an idea years ago for a, a stock market group for some young people. And I listened to him and I'm like, man, that is a great idea. I said, that is awesome. He was like, yeah, well, thank you. I said, so when are you getting started on it? And he looked at me and, you know, he went almost just looked at me and said, uh, I, I was bringing it to you. I think you should do it. I said, oh, no, man. I said, I wish I had the time to sit down and do that. But I don't. Because I am here to expand people's vision. That's why I'm here, to expand your vision. So when you have a vision, I'm here to help you expand it. I see beyond some things. I see where you can. 
God has given a gift of discernment. So I, I take my time with that. But what I want you to know is that there are so many people who claim to be a friend. Leaders have to be careful. Leaders have to talk to other leaders so because they've got to be careful. I've got to learn sometimes. Me, I've always learned the hard way. The hard way is the best, for, best way for me to learn. I'm a kinesthetic learner. It's sad because the people who are around me, sometimes they have to pay for me learning the hard way. But I can tell you this, we're going to get it done. We're going to get it done because I believe in Christ. I believe in God. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in there's nothing that I have not that I've ever done that did not uh, uh, go across his his hands and his eyes and his thoughts first. So everything that I do, even being alive and taking a breath has to be because he let me do it. I told somebody today, I don't always want to sit in this chair. I tell people, why don't you want it? And they say, no, I'm good. Okay, well, I know. I know. Maybe it's just the way I lead. But I also believe in taking care of people. Family is a first thing in my life when it comes down to that. If your family needs you, we'll see you later. Go home because I do not need somebody over here saying, where are they? Do not use me. Well, he needs me to. No, I don't. Nope. You go on home and you take care of your business. Be a leader there. So anyway, once again, this has been Dr. Cornell Lewis with the Keeping It Totally Real podcast. And uh, we will appreciate you so much. Hopefully you'll take the time out to understand that we are uh, looking forward to the next podcasts that we have coming up. Thank you once again. Take care of yourself.